We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Field of 68 Media Network presents Red is the New Orange, a Syracuse basketball podcast. Vincent intercepts a pass, breakaway for the freshman guard, he flies and slams! Aerial assault from Judah Vince! Looking to go back door to Bell, they get it to a mere corner three, knocks it down! Chris Bell, the sharpshooter! Bringing you everything you need to know out of the 3-1-5. Up top, Williams searches ahead, up with the right hand and in! A pretty up-and-under move from Benny Williams to beat his man. Over to Taylor. He skips into the lane, puts up a floater, and drops in. Let's get it started with your hosts, Ian Unsworth and Johnny Gadamowitz. All right, let's bite the bullet. You know what it is. Red is the new orange. Ian Unsworth, Johnny Gadamowitz with you as always. Follow us on Twitter, F68 underscore Cuse. And also subscribe to the Field of 68 Podcast Network. Check out all the other coverage of everything going on in college basketball with Rob Doster, Jeff Goodman, and everyone else who contributes to this great network that keeps college basketball coverage at its root. Syracuse, on the other hand, after two very good wins, road against Pittsburgh, home in buzzer-beating fashion against Miami, gets smacked around by Florida State. It's a three-day turnaround. You play a team that's 10-11 deep, and you get worn out. Syracuse looked worn out by the second half. Judamins had to carry the load. He ran out of gas. Quidir Copeland didn't do anything. He got two fouls in a minute. It was just one of those letdown games, and you kind of expected it to happen. Maybe it's good that it happened now rather than later, Ian, but all the same, kind of a deflating loss. You felt like things were trending in the right direction after the Copeland buzzer beater. It seemed like Syracuse maybe didn't have that, I don't want to say team of destiny because they're far from that, but you had the sense that the basketball gods were maybe on their side a little bit. You can't go out there and allow a team in Florida State that shoots only 33% from range to put up 50 points in the second half. And granted, it wasn't by the three ball. It was more because, as you said, Syracuse got tired. This was a game where the Orange just were not able to go for the full 40, partially due to foul trouble, partially due to it just kind of being that time in the year where we've hit the dog days of the regular season. Yeah. 
and missed free throws. I mean, whatever you want to chalk it up to, you can't you can't leave eleven points at the free throw line. I know the percentage isn't as ugly as maybe some people were making it out to be. They went twenty two for thirty three. 11 points is a lot to leave out there at the line for a team that gets to the line so often to have that many misses. Huge reason why it didn't shake their way. Credit to Florida state. It's a big team. That's one of the things Syracuse will struggle with all season and the orange getting into ACC play. Haven't dealt with that. Think about it. All the guys they've played against even the Dukes and the North Carolinas of the world. Sure, those players are more talented, better recruits, more skilled in a sense, more dynamic, more versatile, but they don't purely outsize you and out-tough you. Florida State had so many bodies and so many big bodies at that. Heck, when you're throwing out a 6-7 point guard in Jalen Worley, you can beat Syracuse down. And with the tired legs... And with the the letdown emotionally of playing this Florida State team, definitely saw that. Judah Mintz, to his credit, has 28. The rest of the team only has 41. And the supporting cast was really nowhere to be found. And Donna DeTota at Syracuse.com wrote a pretty good article about how when Judah tries to do it all himself or has to do it all himself, Syracuse loses and loses in blowout fashion. And in those big games, kind of reminisce back to Maui. I mean, I don't know if you can reminisce about Maui, but in those Maui games, Judah had to take a majority of the the scoring load because those other guys, JJ, and besides what a half and change from Chris Bell, weren't ready to contribute. And that's when Syracuse really started to go downhill. Same thing against Virginia. Judah tries to have a heroic effort against the best on-ball defender in the ACC. Yeah, it it can't just be him. It's something that has been well-documented all season. And I think, you know, Ian, this was a game where we saw a lot of, because of that aforementioned foul trouble, we saw a lot of kind of Benny at the five and then four guards out there, right, with Malik being in foul trouble, with Justin Taylor having a deal with picking up a couple of early ones. And I think this game is kind of the epitome of why that Benny as the big and then sprinkle in four guards elsewhere is not going to work, particularly when you do go up against bigger teams. I want to read actually, I think Syracuse out rebounded them. Yeah. They out rebounded them by three. They were plus on the glass. Yeah. They were, that wasn't the problem. It was defending the paint. Right. He got and then, torn up in the paint, especially by Jameer Watkins in the second half. That guy got everything he wanted. He did. I want to read a tweet that was put out by um, our good pal and current voice of Syracuse Women's Hoops, who has done some Field of 68 work in the past as well, Tim Leonard. He's the um, guy that got us started here. So credit, yeah, he credit to Tim. He did. We'll give, Tim. We'll give Tim a big shout out. So Syracuse had to play about four minutes without Malik Brown in the, in the second half. There was a stretch early on in the second half where they pulled the plug on Malik right out of the gate. He went to the bench. And as Tim says, in the four minutes without him, Syracuse went from up three, 48 to 45, to down three, 57 to 54. Mm-hmm. To see FSU put up 12 points in a four-minute span like that, most of them down low, most of them easy looks, because you don't have your bruiser out there, 
I think this was the first game. And, and Malik didn't have a great game by any stretch. There have been games where he has had much better offensive performances than this one. But I think this was one where you could really watch a stretch without him and tangibly notice differences and differences that obviously cause problems. Offensively, I think those are the real problems because Malik moves so well, especially when Florida State in the second half was really clocking it in. Yeah. Really forcing Syracuse to make a three-point shot, which as you mentioned, John, they only made one. Florida State was so packed in. And Brown is great at finding those little creases, whether it be at the restricted arc, at a dunker spot on the baseline. He's so good at bobbing and weaving through the big bodies mm-hmm. and also fighting for those second chance opportunities that keep the keep possessions, keep games alive. When you don't have that and you don't have another big, Benny's trying his best. Like, let's give Benny Williams some credit. Yeah. He's never played the five before and he he looks engaged. He looks like he is he's given it his all out there. There's not there's no emotion, emotional outburst. There's no kind of mortar behavior. Like he is in this now. He's fully invested, even though he's coming off the bench. But it, it's just not his role. Just like Marek Dolajai playing center. It's it's not his role. He's a blast from the past right there. Yeah, it is. Uh I wonder if you ever found that tooth, by the way. Huh. Uh, but maybe it's need- under his pillow. You need one of Peter Carey or Munir Hema if if Hema's healthy. I think he came in against Florida State and promptly dropped the pass, committed a foul on the other end, got yanked. You need them to contribute something. We that, saw that's that's bar none. We saw a combined three minutes between those two. Two for Peter Carey, one for Munir Hema. Yeah, you got Quentin Post coming up again. Efton Reed at Wake Forest has been playing really well. Clemson is around the corner in two and a half weeks or something like that. You need some backup big men. And I think for some reason, and I can't exactly put my finger on it why, Ian, but I think like Syracuse fans kind of deep down have known that this was going to be a problem. But for whatever whatever reason, we're kind of willing to overlook it, right? Like I don't know why – but there seemed to be a little more faith in this plan of, okay, let's let Malik be the big, let's get Benny some run at the five, and we'll take our chances being undersized. Like, it's not a surprise. Everyone has kind of known this in the back of their mind, and that eventually this was going to rear its ugly head. It's it's surprising to me that these conversations of depth needed amongst these big men wasn't something that was kind of really hit on the second that Naheem McLeod was ruled out indefinitely, right? I think everybody knew it, but for whatever reason, maybe it was just trying to take the glass half full approach that, Hey, we were going to be okay. Regardless, clearly that's not the case. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, winning cures everything, right? right. And so you beat a, a Pittsburgh team that has a lot of size, but it's not necessarily physical. And then Miami without Norchad O'Meara is a totally different Miami team. As they, I, yesterday, I want to say, we're recording this Thursday night, Miami beat Notre Dame. Uh, yesterday with Norchad, who looked pretty good to go. So it looks like that was just a small thing. But you beat two teams without great bigs or even good bigs at that. And it's not like Florida State's bigs are world beaters. I mean, we shouldn't say that. But between Cam Corin, Taylor Bull, Bull Bowen, Baba Miller, who plays more like a guard but is 6'11", 205, it's really tough to handle all that. It's just so much length. Jalen Ganey as well. Yep. So much length. There's only one guy in this rotation for Florida State that's under 6'5". That's too much for the undersized Syracuse backcourt in this context to deal with. Now against NC State, it'll be a completely different story. But against Florida State, which is a totally unique team within itself. The way Leonard Hamilton structures his team is very unique. And Syracuse isn't going to see a lot like it for the rest of the year. It's it's really tough to contend with that kind of size, especially coming off the emotional win, the letdown, three-day turnaround. So what I'm trying to say here, let me let me cut it and condense it. The big man problem won't be as bad as it was on Tuesday. But it's still a problem. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I don't see how you could disagree with that. I think for me, that's something I'm obviously keying in on. Another thing, too, Ian, that we shouldn't really gloss over either when looking at this Florida State game and kind of what didn't go Syracuse's way. The Orange turned the ball over 16 times. Yeah. Um, And Florida State, on the flip side, really prioritized taking care of the basketball. They had single-digit giveaways at nine. And look, I, I know Judah Mintz is, has had to be Superman, and you know it has really kind of put this team on his back, and he has another efficient night with 28 on night of 14. But it feels like he's just turning the ball over a little bit too much. And granted, I know he dribbles the basketball a lot. I'd love to see the percentage breakdown of how much time of Syracuse's offensive possessions, the ball is in Judah Mintz's hands. Hmm. But this is not the first time this season, in fact, it's far from it, where we've seen Judah go four-plus turnovers. 
He had four, obviously, against Florida State last time out. Four at North Carolina. That was a stingy defense that was giving him problems. Four against Duke. I should say five against Duke. Four against Pitt. Six against Oregon. Again, you got to take it with a grain of salt because obviously someone who controls the basketball as much as he does is going to give it away. And he also plays with some reckless abandon. Half his points come with running into people. He does. But for someone now who is no longer a freshman, who has really taken that next step, and I think we would both agree in that this team is going to go as far as Judah Mintz takes them, I'd love to see those turnover numbers trimmed down just a little bit. And I'm not saying he can't turn it over, but I'm saying rather than four a game, can he cut it down to two and a half, three a game, right? Somewhere in that range. Because in a close game down to the wire, you guys don't need us to tell you that could be the difference. When you're taking over a quarter of your team's shots, it's really tough. The other thing about the turnover number, and this will counter kind of contradict your point but it it fits in the whole scheme of things and why other players besides Judah were turning it over Justin Taylor with three Kyle Cuff with three Copeland excuse me no I'm reading I'm reading the fouls oh I'm I'm not not in the right mind here but still one two three four five six six different players with turnovers when Florida State applied pressure Syracuse couldn't handle it this is a theme we've seen over and over again. Yep. UNC absolutely worked Syracuse with the press. Judah gives it up too much when the press comes. And Florida State wasn't double teaming. Neither was North Carolina, if I remember correctly. It's just on him to get the ball over half court. He gave it up. And then against UNC, we saw Quadir Copeland get put in a lockbox by Seth Trimble. Justin Taylor, when he's been asked to handle the ball, has looked really uncomfortable. So Judah has to take responsibility for getting the ball over half court. We can agree on that. And that should save you two, three turnovers and also helps you get into your offense three or four seconds earlier instead of waiting until 20 and then having to condense everything you do. If there's a number to take away as far as the turnover stats are concerned, I think it's this. Syracuse had more than twice as many turnovers as they did assists. If you're talking about team assist to turnover ratio, it was 7 to 16. And again, for an offense that for the past couple weeks, Ian, has really seemed to find its flow and have a little bit of a sense of rhythm and finally establish some identity, where over the course of the first couple weeks of the season, we didn't see it a ton. It was more just, hey, whose turn is it going to be to step up tonight? That's alarming. Let's let's not act like this offense is is doing anything crazy. Not doing anything crazy, but just giving you more of a reason to have some optimism, I think. Yeah, I agree there. But Syracuse is 14th out of 15th in offensive efficiency in ACC-only games. Not a good yeah, number. There's no, there's certainly still work to be done. There like they're not, they're not a great offensive team because they can't shoot. But when in conference play, the defense steps up, you're also playing at home. You don't need 85, 90 points to win. Yeah. The only time the orange have cracked 70, just peeking at some of the numbers here over the course of the past few weeks was the Miami game. 
and they wouldn't have even cracked 70 in that one if Copeland doesn't make that shot at the buzzer. Yeah. So you're right. I mean, it's it, they still, you know, they are leaving quite a bit to be desired on the offensive end, and maybe I was a little bit misguided in that. The I think I think we're happy about the offense because guys are hitting big shots. Yeah, sure. That okay. That leaves a lasting impression more than the numbers do. Yes. If you go back and look at the numbers, and again, it's baked in over an entire sample size of conference play or the entire season. It still doesn't look good. But when you make winning plays, again, that's the eye test. Those can supersede any numbers you throw out there. And I'll say this, you know, before we shift gears to hit on NC State here, if you're Syracuse, these next two, you got to capitalize. You get the Wolfpack at home coming up, which we'll hit on shortly. Yeah, you need this one. And then a winnable game on the road at Boston College. Louisville on the schedule soon, too. Um, so it's not as if... The opportunities are dwindling. They're not. There's still a lot of games out there that you can go out there and win. But you can't lose games on your home court in conference play this time of the year, particularly games that you're supposed to win, much less too straight that you'd figure you're supposed to win on your home court. So this could be a very different conversation early next week. But obviously, if you're a Syracuse fan, you're hoping those are conversations that we will not need to have, at least for a little while longer. With that, before we hit on the Wolfpack, let's kick it to Rob Doster and BetMGM. As you guys know by now, we've partnered with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for the listeners and the viewers of the Field of 68 each and every week of the college basketball season. We have a special offer that will be available starting on Tuesday, January 9th, and running through Monday, February 12th, the morning after Super Bowl 58. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, in honor of the big game, you can use the bonus code FIELD158 and you'll get $158 in free bets on your first wager with BetMGM, regardless of whether or not you win that first bet. Here's how you make it work. Download the BetMGM app. Sign up using the bonus code FIELD158. Deposit at least $5 and place your first wager on any game. You'll receive $158 in bonus bets regardless of the outcome of your bet. Just make sure that you use that bonus code FIELD158 when you sign up. And remember, BetMGM is now available under one wallet in select states. As a New Jersey resident, this is super convenient when I have to go cover games in New York or Philly, which happens quite a bit. When you cross state borders, you just log into your existing account and fire away. You don't have to create separate accounts in each state. It's easy, it's simple, it's clean. And most importantly, we have some fun stuff coming up for the heart of the college basketball season. Bet insurance tokens, college hoops, odd boosts, and my favorite, a nice juicy parlay boost. So download the BetMGM app and sign up today. Field 158. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Back here on Red is the New Orange, we're going to talk the fighting Kevin Keats, Keatses, something like that. The Wolfpack, not a plural mascot, and not a great scoring offense over the past couple games. Put up 53 points in one of the ugliest college basketball games of the season against Virginia. I think it was last weekend. Yeah, it was last, actually, no, it was last night. It was Wednesday, January 24th. The final score was 59 to 53. They had 15 points at halftime in that game. Horrendous. Six points in overtime. Virginia has 12. Yeah, this game went to overtime. Hang on. Hey, before we dive any deep further into the Wolfpack, they scored 53 points in an overtime game. I don't care if you're going up a pack. I don't care if you're going up against a pack line defense or a Jim Beheim vintage 2 3 zone. If you're playing an overtime basketball game, you got to find a way to score more than 53 points. I'm sorry. It's it's probably an indictment on Virginia, too, if we're being completely honest, who was up 35 to 21 in the second half. Yeah, and blew it. So, I mean, it let's let's just call it like it was. Horrific. Um, also, should notice Virginia out-rebounded North Carolina State 54 to 32. And that's because this NC State team is not particularly talented down low. You've got DJ Burns, the dancing bear, and he will dance and he will post up, but he's not good for much else. And then behind him, you've got Muhammad Diara and Ben Middlebrooks, who are just big bodies. That's it. Just, I mean, they they are the Munir Hema and Peter Carey. Placeholder bigs because DJ Burns as you can probably guess, can't play all 40 or 45 minutes. So North Carolina State will be a guard-fueled team like they always are. This year, it's DJ Horn and Jaden Taylor who are their main scorers. Not as dynamic in any way, shape, or form as Terquavion Smith and Jarkel Joyner last year. Terquavion Smith made that team go. That Even guy was Burns, a bucket. He was, yeah, Burns yeah. was, the, was the, spec, the spectacle of it all, especially when he got hot. But Terquavion Smith did some ridiculous things. And, I mean, that's why he's in the NBA now. Yeah. Yeah, four guys in double figures, Ian, um, for this NC State squad. So they have guys that can make you pay. Uh, nobody's scoring more than 14 and change a game. So and that's Burns, who is right. there. Burns and Horn are their two like leading leading scores. The two leading guys. Right. The, the size is interesting. They only have one guy who is averaging more than four point two rebounds per game. So again, surface level, you would think this is a game where Syracuse, despite its lack of size, will be able to sort of weather that storm, and you'd hope that they can on paper. I see no no reason why they won't. My concern is more this. Is an NC State squad that's going to come out hungry? 
they're going to come out firing, right? They only scored 53 against UVA. We just told you that. But even before that, a tough loss on their home court to Virginia Tech, right? So they've lost three of their last five. They've got something to prove. And again, it feels like every week we have this conversation, but it's that middle of the pack in the ACC, right? Guys want to, teams want to separate themselves. And you know what? As deflating as a 53-point performance is, at the same token, you got to figure if you're the NC State, all right, you lost by six to Virginia. I know Virginia is not the world beaters that they have been in the past. They beat, they beat Virginia earlier in the year by right. 16. Right, right. So I think, you know, from a Wolfpack standpoint, you've got a lot to prove because all of a sudden you drop three straight, that's when you hit spiral mode. And that's where things can start to get a little weird and a little frantic. So I know a lot of Syracuse fans are thinking this is a get right, take advantage, home court, you know, get back in the win column. I would not overlook this NC State squad, even with their offensive inefficiencies. And both these teams have to pick themselves off the mat. They're both in the same exact spot. NC State's four and three in conference play. Both these teams also are very similar statistically. Just looking up and down the ACC stats, almost everything's the same. Rebounding, 8th and ninth. Field goal percentage, scoring right around those same margins. Middle of the pack, as you mentioned, Johnny. A same couple deal with the out- three ball. Same yeah, deal with the three of, ball, too. Yeah, a couple of outliers, bad at the three ball. Don't turn the ball over. Under 10 turnovers per game. That's second in the conference. And because they're so guard heavy, there are a lot of dudes out there that can handle the ball. You've got Horn, you've got Taylor, the transfer from Butler, uh, Casey Morsell, who started off at UVA and now is, I think, in his final year of eligibility, one of the Peter Pans of college basketball. He can also handle it. Um, You've got Michael O'Connell and Dennis Parker, both little used guys. Parker's a freshman, and they'll both handle it a little bit. Um, other thing you might hear about on the broadcast, MJ Rice, who was really highly regarded coming out of high school, former five-star, transferred from Kansas this year, and then didn't start the season with the team, the personal reasons kind of thing, played, I think, nine games, and then has stepped away now. Um, they're applying for a redshirt, but they won't have him. And that's probably their best athlete on the floor. So when it comes to rebounding and also just attacking the rim, Wolfpack don't have that. This is a team that can easily be forced into taking long range twos, some ugly threes. Think about that LSU game, how the Tigers took so many threes and so many jump shots. Nothing went in. If Syracuse can pack it in and stop Burns, just like they, who was that big man's name, Johnny? White dude on LSU, who we talked to John Eads about. His name is escaping me with all the new faces that LSU had on their roster this year. But it was the exact same thing. But yes. Brown shut him down. I think he had two points in the first half, took him completely out of the game. And then LSU turned to its guards who couldn't produce. Right. And I think we could see the same script here if everything turns out well for the Orange. And the Dome crowd should be rocking. Right, They've got some big-time recruits in the building, like we talked about a couple weeks ago. So everyone should show out, and it's a night game too, right? 7 o'clock tip. If every if the formula works together, Syracuse can really take over this thing 
getting in the paint, attacking Burns on defense, and then clogging the lanes and making NC State take those long jumpers. Yeah, I believe they are calling it a blizzard out is is the term for the uh, for the student section come Saturday night. Are they, are they wearing white? Or I think is it so. like snow gear. Yeah, so who knows? Maybe it will actually snow. Um, but Ian, I want to go back to something you said about Burns. Yeah, you know, gotta attack I, him on defense. Attack him on defense, and it was the same thing I said when you were playing Boston College, right? When you got a guy like Quentin Post, make him work on the defensive end. You know, grind it down on that end, and then offensively, he's gassed, right? Because he's so concerned about what he's got to do to prevent you from putting the ball in the hoop that his offensive impact is not nearly the same. We saw Syracuse do that, and it worked against Post. I think it's a similar formula here against Burns. If you can and, yeah, take Burns him out of the game offensively, the defender Quentin Post is either. Correct. Burns is not even in the same stratosphere. Yep. One other thing, as far as this NC State game goes. Got to get Chris Bell going back in the right direction. Um, you know, we've talked about the ebbs and flows of his season, and maybe that's better. just what it is. But, again, we've seen the consistency now, right? Prior to this last game against Florida State, he was really feeling it. Didn't have it so much against Florida State. I think it snapped a game of – it snapped a streak of three or four in a row of double figures. Nobody this had it. team is at its best when Chris Bell is knocking down shots. There's no secret about that, right? So – I don't know what his pregame ritual is. I don't know what mindset he's got to be in, but whatever he has to do, wake up on the right side of the bed that day to make it a six of nine performance rather than a two of nine performance. Red Autry needs to figure out what the secret formula is and find a way to have Chris Bell tap into that night in, night out. Chris Bell's secret sauce. Yes. The credit to Chris Bell for not streaking out his shots as much he can come off the bench and make a three or two as he did against Miami as he did against Pitt instead of keeping all that scoring in one window and then kind of shutting off for the rest of the game spread it out spread it out we want to see it for for a full 40 Chris not not just a five minute span here and there Syracuse is making steps but a big step to rebound from a pretty devastating loss against Florida State where you're out physicaled out-toughed and pushed around, and then take down this Wolfpack team. We'll see how it turns out. Saturday, Syracuse projected to win by two, according to Ken Palm, a 7 really? o'clock tip. Only two? Yes, only two. Um, again, Syracuse is 82nd in Ken Palm, NC State 75. Before that Florida State game, Syracuse was in the mid-70s. So the slimmest of margins probably decided in this one, Tip-off Saturday at 7 on ACC Network. Catch it there, and then check out our recap podcast on Monday, which will be everywhere you get your podcasts, on YouTube, on the Field of 68 Podcast Network, and on Twitter, where you can drop us a follow, F68 underscore Qs. Thanks for sticking with us till the end. With Johnny Gdamowitz, Ian Unsworth signing off. Hope you have a great weekend, and go Orange.